This is Blue July, and you're listening to the Be Someone Podcast. Lights looking bright, the H got the vibe, she's my name on the sign, it's my time to shine when I was cruising 45, and it crossed my mind that I shine like a sun and that I'll be someone. Lights, camera, session, use the flow molasses, blue the line, my fashion, future brightening glasses, applause from the masses. This is the Be Someone Podcast. Hey everybody, this is the coach Chris Ortiz inviting you to check out my website, coachortiz.com. On the website, you'll find my newest book, Drive Slow, which is a love story to our great city, Houston, Texas, and then also a dedication piece to uh, my recently deceased father, Ruben Ortiz. Uh, But you can also find the other episodes of the podcast and then other books that I have released or will be releasing. So y'all take care, have a blessed day, and go out and be that someone. Hey everybody, this is uh, the Coach Chris Ortiz at the Be Someone Podcast, and uh, today's special guest is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, man. It's my coach, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, UFC veteran, just all around a good and interesting guy, uh, Alex Morano. How you doing today? <clears throat> What's up, guys, man? Doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Very excited. All right, man. Um, let's kind of just jump right into it, man. Like, uh, I'm a big fan of origin stories, man, so I'd kind of like to know... Uh, a little bit about your your background. I know, uh, but I don't think the general public knows. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, uh, uh, kind of a unorthodox background story. Was not an athlete growing up by any means. Was uh, was super into MMA in like the early high school years. And just to, to paint a picture, as a as a young teenager, I was uh, I was not in great shape. I was a bit overweight, but uh, <laughs> but but always active. You know, never too like soft, dumpy, but definitely. Had some extra pounds, and would love to watch in the UFC fights. Love to watch in the old pride fights. You know, I would get together on the weekends with some friends. We'd play some poker, and watch some fights. And usually, like box, grapple upstairs, not knowing what we were doing at all. And then on one year for Christmas, I think I was 16 years old. My parents, you know, they asked me what I wanted, and I was never super big on, you know, making a list of gifts and stuff. And I was like, you know what? If you guys find a boxing gym, you know, give me a uh, give me a membership to it. I would love to see it. So you know, some time had passed. And uh, it was about midway through January. It was a Saturday morning. I'll never forget. My mom wakes me up pretty early. And she's like, hey, get your boxing gloves. I have a surprise for you. And I was like, cool, we're going to a boxing gym. You know, easy surprise to figure out. So we go to this gym, uh, maybe maybe 20 minutes from the house, called LA Box. And I do a... Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, some old school days where I met Robo. This is... We're going back 13, 14 years. Take like a, a cardio boxing class and fall in love with it. And no joke, have nearly shown up to a gym every single day since then to train. And, uh, and the rest was history. You know, I lost like 60 pounds in about eight months. Took my first in-gym, pretty illegal smoker fight is what you call them. And I won with a head kick knockout. And ever since that day, I was hooked. And I'm training the same amount I'm training now that I did back then. That's hilarious. Uh, my origin story also starts at uh, LA Boxing, man. So All right, nice. Yeah, yeah there's a couple of... Cardi- super- Super OG guys who remember those old days. Cardio kickboxing with soccer moms. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tell me a little bit about your folks. What was your mom like? I know she's super supportive of you. Yeah, man, both of my parents were awesome. I have nothing but great things to say. Uh, they had got a divorce when uh, when I was 10 years old, so it was right in, what, 2000? And uh, before that, my dad had actually owned his own company, so we were, we were pretty well off. So, you know, growing up from a young child to a 10-year-old, you know, kind of having everything always 
at your disposal. I, I took a lot for granted. But then once my parents split, you know, the, the company got kind of sold off and dismantled. My mom started working. My dad had to kind of build up from the ground up. You know, so we went from like a nice house in the uh, Memorial Northwest area and Champions Forest, you know, to living in apartments. And, and I really got a good view of, uh, of just like different perspective on, you know, like hard work and like, you know, money spent and, and just everything. And, you know, this was a good personality trait, I believe. I always, you know, had fun no matter where we were, whether it was a big house or a one bedroom apartment. I always really enjoyed being with my family. But my parents were super supportive, uh, both my mom super supportive for like me and then my dad super supportive of the kids you know always had you know our best interest at hand no matter how much money he was making he made sure we were always taken care of and the best thing about my dad is he he taught us the value of hard work at a young age and uh, you know we would have jobs starting at like 15 and 16 leveling ground for swimming pools he always had a swimming pool company his whole life and uh, so we were working you know in the sun in the dirt sweating making money and, and, and learning the value of the dollar and that's hard work too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what trait do you think uh, you picked up off your mom, or what? What is something that your mom has passed on to you, like the strongest trait? For my mom, for sure, it's been like uh, confidence and, uh, and 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 positivity, just like staying positive. You know, no matter what happens in life, and I do understand some tragic things can happen, and it can make this this theory difficult to to really keep. But uh, you know, your your attitude is really a choice. And, and man, I just choose to be happy, even in bad situations. You know, it's like if something bad happens, instead of dwelling on the negative parts, is you know learning from the negative parts and always finding a lesson. And like as a fighter, you have to do that. If you lose a fight, you can't blame a bad fight camp. You can't blame oh I got caught. You gotta understand what you did wrong. You know, uh, appreciate the opportunity you had, and then grow and learn from the experience. All right, what about your pops? My my dad is the best. Uh, hard work, work ethic. You know, he he, you know he's. You know, I got another older brother. My dad was always like, you know, boys, you gotta, you gotta be in business for yourself. You gotta run your own business. You know, you, you don't want to have a boss. And sure enough, my eldest brother runs a very, very successful um, web design and search engine optimization SEO company, and uh, he does very well for himself. And then I run, you know, the, the gym here and and have my own LLC with my MMA, my MMA work. And uh, so yeah, he taught us the value of, of not only hard work but kind of being in control of your own fate. All right. Well, kind of uh, going back to uh, that first gym you attended, LA Boxing. Um, what was it initially that kept you walking through that front door? Because, to me, through experience, I think that that's probably been the hardest thing. Continuing, you know, walking in the door each and every day. What was it for you? Yeah, there were two pretty defining aspects. One, and this is what got me to the UFC with no prior athleticism, was I just truly enjoyed the training. I loved the trial and error. I loved the fast paced. You know, decision making with, you know, physical, personal consequence being the, you know, the, you know, how we learn. You know, if we make a mistake when you box, you get punched in the face. There's good incentive to not make the same mistake twice. And second, you know, us sitting here hanging out was the camaraderie, was the social aspect. You know, I started training when I was 16, so I was my junior year in high school, and you know, a lot of my training partners were adults, so I got really comfortable talking and conversing with adults like they were my friends when I was a bit younger. So when I would go back to school, I didn't see my teachers as these, you know, evil people out to get me, to fail me. I saw them as my peers. They were, you know, just like my friends at the gym, you know, working a job to feed their families. And I, and I really, uh, you know, I saw them as peers and, and I was able to, like, talk with them genuinely and, and befriend them. And my relationships with them were awesome. My grades shot up. And I just had so many beneficial experiences 
learning how to like truly respect and talk with adults. Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually jumping in the fire and having to do it, you know, you get you get like a perspective, you know. So one of the, my favorite things about you is that you seem to be wise beyond your years, and you know, hearing you, you know, talk about that particular situation or <clears throat> being able to hop into someone else's shoes again just reaffirms that you know you're, you're wise beyond your years. Cause cool, thank you. Twenty nine, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so for all intents and purposes, you know, you're still kind of a kid, man, but you have like the spirit of an old man. It's weird. Yeah, so when I was like 22 and 23, I'm effectively the same person I am now. And the people are like, man, you're really young for what you do. And I always liked hearing that, but it's funny now, you know, my age has kind of caught up to the expectations. So now it's very standard, which, <laughs> which is it's kind of nice. I definitely feel like I'm getting a bit older. Okay, so earlier you were talking about taking this, uh, this smoker fight over there at LA Boxing. How long was it? between you know walking in the front door and then uh, jumping in there because there's a lot of us that train that have never even gone that far. Yeah, it was about eight months. I, you know, anytime I had fights, even my first fight ever, you go into a thing called fight camp. And it's funny, when I get new guys here, I'm like, hey guys, I'm going into fight camp. People think I'm leaving and going to an actual campground for yeah. a couple weeks. But no, fight camp is just a general term of like really concentrated nutrition and training, and you just you kind of up the intensity for everything. And even for my first fight ever, granted, I'm sure the fight camp had all sorts of issues and holes, but I put a lot of focus into it. But I remember, I always remember fight dates, and that one was in October. So I started training in January, and then in October I fought. So uh, what, what is that, 10 months? Man. So a good while, but you gotta think, 10 months of being green and knowing nothing, lost all my weight, had a fight. It's funny, the smoker fight, they charged admission, they, uh, it was illegal. I mean, and now, if now like we still call them smoker fights, but now it's like in gym sparring sessions. They don't declare winners. You know, you have to have protective gear. If people start swinging too hard, they stop the match. It's much more safe now and way more productive for these lower level fighters, kind of learning the pace and nerves of a real fight under much safer kind of like pretenses. Yeah, and just uh, just uh, I guess put in perspective too like uh, Mike Corley who also came up from uh, LA Box and I know that he's put on uh, a lot of smokers and I think those are like the smokers you're talking about right the control yeah, environment so, so you know calling them smokers is actually like a, a bit outdated uh, if I'm not mistaken they call them smokers because they used to hold these non-sanctioned fights in bars where people were smoking so you call them smokers but uh, but no now they're like live sparring exhibition nights and it's not loophole work it's like genuinely you get a, you know you get a couple coaches that you're cool with they bring some of their students to your gym, and you have your students spar with other students. No different than how we'd spar in our own gym with our own friends. But we do it with people we don't know, so there's like a new style behind it. But like technique is number one, safety is number two, and then intensity is number three. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to kind of transition into uh, GB, Gracie Baja. Uh, you being a student, you being a gym owner now, and just, you know, the whole smorgasbord. Uh, how long have you been training under the GB banner? So this gym opened in... I want to say October of 2007, maybe 2008. I forget, but I think our 13th year is coming up in October, which is soon. So 13 years, 12 and a half years here. And then I've been training overall for, you know, I think January would be 14 years. And how long have uh, y'all, how long have you, how long has it been since you've, you know, owned the place, started owning it, whatnot? So I took over coaching as a purple and brown belt. Man, this was maybe. I've been a black belt for six years in January. I was a brown belt for four years. So 10 years, it's 2010, 2012. Since, two, since about 2012 is when I started coaching. 
um, not even as the head coach, and then a couple years after that became head coach, and then a bit after that became the owner. So, yeah. It's Something about climbing the ladder, my man. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, man, uh, let me ask you this. What separates uh, GB from other gyms? So it's, it's cool. It's a very recognizable. So for like newer people who want to come train, they have a pretty familiar name to come to. And in the Grace Mock community in Houston, it's great. It's, it's, it's spearheaded by a guy named Draculino. He's a fantastic ambassador. He deals with more small issues than you guys would believe. And, uh, and, he, and he's awesome. He, he makes like the Americans who run these gyms feel very welcome. And I know you can, you know, you can train at one GB, you can train at all GBs. So I do a lot of my cross training at Gracie Baja West Chase. They have, in my opinion, the most competition effective team of grapplers. And they've had a lot of really high level striking coaches come in there and teach one guy in particular, a guy named Ilya Grad. If you guys don't know him, look him up. He's, uh, he's born in Israel, lived in Thailand for a while. One of the most experienced Muay Thai strikers you'll ever see in your life. And he and I really connected well. And then, and then Opiano, naturally, the, uh, the GB West Chase owner and operator also has just a, a stable of some of the best grapplers you'll find in Houston. So anytime I want to get some good hard cross training, I make sure to go there every fight camp. And who are some of the notable professors you've been able to uh, train under uh, under GB? Yeah, so Professor Drac is the man, man. He's the, he's, he's the best. And then I've had most of my experience at GB West Chase. Uh, they had one really good competitor guy, Ignacio Neto, and uh, another guy, good guy, Hunter Newton, American dude, wrestler, black belt, awesome, and then naturally, Opiano as well. So it's been a good a good bit of experience. Uh, let me ask you this then, and this is also just for people listening, like, why train jiu-jitsu? You know, what are the benefits of training this martial art? So, um, you know, it's, it's great for, like, the working-class family man who doesn't want to get a black eye. You know, you come in, you learn... Yeah, the most effective martial art for self-defense, and it's not my opinion. That was proven in the early days of the UFC. And, uh, you know, much like in boxing, if you make a mistake, you know, you miss a punch, you get counterpunched, you get hit in the head. Not everyone likes that. In jiu-jitsu, you make a mistake, you get mounted, you get armbarred, you know, you tap, you're no worse for wear. Plus, it is a full body, and I'm talking head-to-toe workout, constant push-pull resistance training. I lost most of my weight doing jiu-jitsu. And you will be sore in places and in muscles you never knew you had. I mean, it's such a full body workout. It's a super effective martial art for self-defense. And you build a really good bond with your friends because, you know, your safety is in their hands. You learn together. You win together. You lose together. You know, it's, it's such a, a fun, healthy lifestyle. And, you know, I never, I still don't really drink alcohol much to this day. And I'm not super against it. But, you know, every single Saturday morning I would wake up to go train. So I never developed the habit of drinking because I knew if I had to go train the next day, it would really hinder that. So it just promotes healthy eating so your joints feel good, so your recovery is good. And uh, there's just so many positive effects of doing martial arts. You know, I, I don't see any other way to live. You hit, it, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, speak of the devil, like I avoided drinking a little bit of beer on a Friday evening because I knew that I had to come in on a Saturday and then, you know, train. So... Oh, it affects every decision that you make. <laughs> um, right now what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, fight camp. Uh, how long is a typical fight camp in terms of week? In terms of weeks, if like we're to talk about like an ideal situation. So, yeah, so best case scenario. So it depends. If you had, if you had fought recently, maybe within like four months, then a, then a six-week long fight camp generally seems to be perfect. You'll peak right at that fifth and sixth week. If you're coming from a long layoff or like an injury or something, I usually would do an eight-week fight camp, and then one time I had a, um, a title fight, so I was fighting for five rounds. It's a 25-minute long fight. That's a long fight. I did a 10-week long fight camp, but one time, 
I, uh, I got word of a fight really early and I did a 10 week long fight camp and it was too long and I got a bit burnt out. So like now, you know, I'm maybe like 40 fights in the game. I usually do six week long fight camps, but some fights I had to take short notice. So pretty much as soon as I get word of the fight, camp starts. You know, I've had camps as short as one week long and then camps as long as 10 weeks. And granted, the maximum preparation is good, but like historically I've done better with, with the short notice fights. I've not lost a short notice fight. Yeah, and, and uh, that was actually, you know, where you, you made your big, you know, first impression in the UFC. That was a short notice fight, right, against uh, Kyle Nook. Yeah, I had less than two weeks to prepare. But thankfully, I had fought that, that five-round title fight right before, so I was in good shape. So there was about a month in between that fight and the UFC fight, but I had suffered a cut over my eye, so I wasn't able to do much actual live training. I was doing some running. But, uh, but, yeah, I was not in the best of shape for that fight, and I won. It was really? cool. That, that guy who I beat had no business losing that fight. Yeah, that was a grind, too. Like, that was not an easy fight. He was inside the top ten, uh, bigger, taller. Much bigger guy, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he was a huge favorite. It was his tenth fight in the UFC. He was much bigger and more experienced than I was, and I beat that man up. Remember, I drank a lot of beer for you that night. <laughs> all right. I was very all proud right. of you, man. <laughs> uh, if you could, man, give us a breakdown of what a uh, typical week in – fight camp looks like so you know now that I'm fighting at the highest level it does change quite a bit so like Monday I'll drive up to Dallas and and I have a gym up there called Fortis MMA in 2019 we had a record of 17 wins and five losses in the UFC um the most wins of any camp by far best record of the year we even beat city kickboxing so there was some like algorithm somebody had planned a regular win was worth three points. A title fight win was worth five points. A regular loss was minus three, and a title fight loss was minus five. Now, granted, City Kickboxing, Alexander Volkanovsky, Israel Adesanya, they both won belts. So, like, they did win, like, gym of the year, coach of the year, whatever. But our gym had more fights and more victories. So we had the highest scoring point system that year. I was very proud of that. Team is awesome. I'm one of, I think, 13 or 14 UFC fighters. And it was killer. So now I drive up to Dallas, train super hard Monday, rest, train super hard Tuesday, and I actually drive home super late Tuesday night. I usually leave the training session around like 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. and I'll get home around like 1 or 2 a.m. Good lord, man. I just prefer not to sleep there. I like coming home. And then like Wednesday, I have to take a rest because I'm so banged up from training. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I train pretty hard, rest Sunday, and repeat the cycle. All right, well, you, you mentioned a lot of information in that little tidbit. Um, I want you to go back, and I want you to tell me, like, who are some of your high-level training partners up there? Because you said 13 UFC veterans. You have the, the honor and the privilege of, of training uh, with some pretty high-level dudes. Iron's sharpening iron up there. Oh, yeah. No, I'm definitely definitely uh, not, the, not the big shark up there like I am here. So the, my, my main training partner, two guys. Name, one guy named Ramez Brahma. He, uh, he just got signed to the UFC. But, uh, but, man, his fight got scrapped pretty pretty early, pretty early, late to the fight, so he'll get rebooked. And then the main guy is Jeff Neal. And, man, mark my words, he will be UFC champion. That guy is something special. He's, a, he's awesome. But, man, they got a whole crop of fighters. They got a lot of light heavyweights as well, and I don't train as much with them. Naturally, Uriah Hall is up there. Man, I thought he broke my ribs with a knee one day in training. But, uh, but it was still a really fun session. Ribs didn't break. And uh, man, just such a such a high level group of guys. And then of course I got all my my friends and trainer partners here in Houston. It's such a good blend of of like. So I'll do all of my super hard work in Dallas, and then when I come home for the couple of days, I'll like go to my coaches here, like Coach Matt, my kickboxing coach, 
and, uh, and I'll be like, hey, I did this well and I did this bad, let's drill this. Let's drill this on the pads, let's drill this with partners, and then I'll go try and make it a little bit better when I go up to Dallas. And I just hit that cycle, you know, five and six times in a fight camp, and come fight time, I feel super prepared. Well, uh, let's throw some love to Houston. Who are some of your main training partners over here in Houston? So again, you guys, everyone at the GB The Woods and Ortiz, you know him better than anybody. Um, and then I'll do some cross training, but uh, there's a guy locally named Trevin Giles who I was putting a lot around in with last fight camp. He's a local HPD officer. He's great. He fought on the last Houston card and won. And, uh, and, and yeah, so but mostly my boys in the Woodlands. All right. Um, you mentioned that uh, y'all's record was, you know, out of this world. Uh, who were the coaches up there? Tell me a little bit about these coaches, like the mindset that they've instilled upon you, the... You know, just the different things that they have brought and added to your game. Yes, yeah, so uh, our head coach in Dallas up in Fort Sumay, his name is Coach Safe Saud. He's awesome. We call him Coach Safe Coach. He's the most intense, intelligent, and frightening man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> um, it's cool. You know, I'm the coach here at the Woodlands, but, like, I was a student, and I became a coach out of necessity. Our, our head instructor, Robo, had left kind of abruptly and, uh, and kind of, like, left an army without a general. So I took that general position just to make sure we had some direction. But I always really loved being a student. You know, like if our gym got into a battle, I would not be the one in the tower calling the shots. I'd be on the front line swinging the battle axe. That's where I need to be in a war. So at Fortis, I get to do that. I get to say yes, sir, and listen and spar and not have to make a lot of decisions. It's just, I love, I love learning and I love having orders, especially from a man I respect. You know, there's there's really two people in this in this world that I respect more than anyone else. And first is my father, and then second is Coach Safe. And uh, you know, winning the fight for myself is important. Winning the fight for my team is important. But like winning the fight for Coach is also extremely important. I was so happy I was able to do that for him three times out of four fights. I've only lost once under him, and uh, and and man, I just love that so much. But he's got such wisdom, and he and, and he doesn't just coach us on winning fights. I mean, he does that, but he makes sure. We have like our financial livelihood set. He makes sure we're not getting taken advantage of. He's more than just an MMA coach. He's a good life coach. And like if we conduct ourselves poorly outside of the gym, you get kicked off the team so fast, I would never imagine doing anything to upset him. Wow, sounds like a gentleman that puts uh, the person you know, before the athlete. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and man, he just gives such great pre and post training speeches. I'll tell you, if you're not motivated after leaving a training session there, nothing will motivate man, you. Is there any uh, any cool like notable speech, man? Like that just got man, you fired man, up? Man, I wish I could record them. I don't think I don't think that would be the case. I don't think they're <laughs> smart. But I mean, no, it's one of those things you got to be there. And like as a coach here, you know, I'm very positive, happy-go-lucky. And granted, he's got a team of killers. He's got a team of UFC athletes ready to kill dudes, knock guys out, and make some money. Whereas at my gym, I got a bunch of super cool family guys coming here to train and have some fun. So, like, I couldn't coach like he coached. Not only is it not my personality, but we have a different crowd of people. But, man, I would love everyone in my gym to, uh, to hear him, to hear him one day. And, uh, and I do try to be a little more stern and a bit more direct with, like, post-training speeches for the class. He's even, he's helped Coach Matt be a better coach. I don't know if you can tell, but Coach Matt has become a lot less forgiving, a lot more direct when he coaches you know, it's like my coach kind of coaches Matt had a coach as well. It's awesome. So Matthew Wald goes up there with you too? Yeah, yeah. He'll go up there. He'll mostly go up there with Jake and Cameron. And they'll all kind of get coached. And I'll often go there by myself. Man, well, that's badass. I mean, that's a uh, coach safe is uh, contributing, you know, to, to other coaches. You know, he's planting seeds. Like, that. oh, that's yeah. badass that he lets them enter his house and, yeah, and learn yeah. from them. 
and I'll tell you, they're very selective and particular. I've seen, uh, we've been training before, and like a new guy will walk in the door, and everyone, the coach is like, stop. He's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm here to look for classes. He's like, oh, okay, go to the front. But very protective, very protective of his brand, of his students. He, he will not be taken advantage of, nor will he allow his students and fighters be taken advantage of. You know, he's truly like, he's truly like a shepherd, man. He's awesome. You can't argue with results, right? No, absolutely. All right, man, uh, let's talk about uh, fighting in the UFC because that's the, the MLB, that's the NBA, that's the NFL, that is the inside that top 1%, you know, the baddest dudes on the planet. Uh, can you remember what it felt like to get that call? Because uh, being an outsider, uh, I watched you climb that ladder. I saw you thirst, you know, to, to get on the grand stage. Uh, what was it like once you finally got that call? Yeah, so it was cool. So I, uh, I never thought I would make it to the UFC, and, and, and not for any reason in particular. I just never, uh, I just never knew it could happen. And the only reason I fought as much as I did, it wasn't to prove I was the best in the world. I just enjoyed the emotion that came with the fights. And the only reason I ever fought was because I enjoyed training so much. You know, after you know that six, seven months of training, my coach was like, "Hey, man, why don't you compete?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know, coach. What's that?" You know, sign me up. I'll do whatever. But I just enjoyed coming into the gym and working hard. And, uh, and, and that's what, you know, got me over not having any athletic background. But, uh, but, you know, I just, in 2015 was the best year of my life. I got my black belt in jiu-jitsu. In jiu-jitsu, I made my pro kickboxing debut and won by TKO. Injury, kicked the guy in the forearm, broke his arm in half. Oh, yeah. And just went on a rampage. I fought almost every month. I had a very torn ACL at the time, and I won almost all of my fights. You know, had a main event legacy fight, knocked the dude out, got knocked out of the year, got offered the title, won the title, and then a couple weeks later, you know, at the time, Joe Silva calls the gym, and my boy Jake answers, and he's like, whoa, Alex isn't here, but he'll be here soon, so he takes, you know, Joe's information, and sure enough, I got a call on my cell phone about an hour later, and he's like, you know, hey, Alex, you know, I've heard a lot about you, I have a, I have a fight for you in two weeks, are you interested? And I was like, I am interested, I'll take it, and I was like, who's it against? And he was like, Kyle Noak, and I was like, oh, no. You know, I had watched Kyle Noak on The Ultimate Fighter. I had watched most of his fights in the UFC. And I knew him because he was Steve Irwin's bodyguard back yes. in the 90s. And, you know, I didn't realize that Steve Irwin was big into wrestling and jiu-jitsu, naturally, because he had to wrestle freaking crocodiles. It was awesome. So I was very intimidated, you know, very scared for this fight. But I didn't care. I was down. And, uh, you know, I had a week to train. I had a, a super blown-out knee. Had nothing to lose. And I went into that fight, and I fought to win. I was swinging for the fences and no not nervous at all I had fought that was like my 10th fight in about 14 months including some submission only jiu-jitsu matches so I was not nervous I did not I had no octagon jitters I'll never forget though walking out to the octagon there was a curtain separating Kyle Noak and I and I looked through the crack of the curtain and I saw him looking at me and he was mean mugging me hardcore and like we had cut weight in the same sauna I had seen him all throughout fight week he was super cool super respectful but like right before fight time came, dude, he was eyeballing me so hard. And I remember seeing him and be like, all right, it's, you know, it's too late now. <laughs> you know, we walk in the octagon, the fight starts, he blasts me with a pretty hard inside kick. Thankfully, that was the worst of the strikes he hit me with. About midway through the first round, I hit him with a right hand that broke his nose. Ooh. And I was swinging, man. I was swinging for the fences in that fight. And he fought to not lose. So he did just enough to stay active. He did just enough to score a takedown, but he didn't fight to win. And I did, and I won that fight because of it. I hurt him bad. I broke his nose. Damn near broke his arm with an arm bar. He didn't, I was, I, other than my already damaged knee, I came out of that fight 
in no worse condition than I than I came in. All right. Um, you know, sometimes I watch you in there fighting, and I, I'm vicariously living through you. One of the things I've always I wanted to ask is, what's it like to have your hand raised and then have Joe Rogan come over and start talking to you about this, that, or the other? Man, there's just a, a feeling. It's you know, MMA is the coolest sport. It's the highest highs and and you know the lowest lows. And what I mean by that is. If you if you do a full fight camp and you fight and you lose, there's like a, there's like a looming dark cloud. It's like that chapter was never finished. Whereas when you win, all that hard work, the actual grind of the fight, you know, you get the win, it comes full circle. You're done. You've achieved your goal. There's some some levity. There's there's time to relax, and breathe, and and live life. And when when you don't win, that stays open. And there was a year twenty. 17 I think I had two fights I lost two fights so I had over a year of just this like open wound and until you win just the, the best thing for me about winning is a, is is a successfully achieved goal it's a completed chapter and uh, and that's the best thing I just like the There's closure it's the closure like. the closure is the word I was looking for perfect Jeez, thank you but yeah the closure is the best thing about it and you know and you know I would bet my life truly bet my life that I would win every single one of these fights so when you lose a fight, it's like your reality is ripped from underneath you. And, uh, and thankfully, I always had like a good mindset to stay positive, learn from mistakes, and get back on the track. And really just be thankful you had the opportunity. Man, it's rough. Losing these fights is rough. Winning them is, is, worth, you know, is worth it, though. Oh, yeah. And to your credit, you know, being a student of yours, uh, I've never seen your demeanor change, win or lose, which is, uh, to me, was surprising. You know, I, I wouldn't know what to expect, you know. If average Joe lost, you know, because I can, I could see people, you know, pushing that on their students when they came back, and uh, you've never done that, you know. Like in victory, you come back and you're very humble, and in defeat, you come back and you're very humble, you know. So you, you seem to have like a super good mindset. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I never was the strongest or the fastest or the biggest in the weight class, so I had to, I had to find my strengths elsewhere. And I don't know what attributes this. You know, I was like a suburban white kid, grew up in private schools for the most part. And uh, so I didn't really have like a lot of toughness, but I just had a good mindset for fighting. I was never afraid. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so there was nothing to fear. And I never fought for money. I never fought for, to prove I was the best. I just fought because I enjoyed it. And so I always had really low expectations. And, you know, wins and losses, you know, you got you to be the same. You got to set a good example for the students. And you got to take them with pride. Well, let me ask you this, and this kind of goes back into the UFC. Is it business as usual whenever, you know, you cut through those curtains and you see thousands and thousands and thousands of people? Or is there something different about walking out to the octagon versus, let's say, Legacy or Fury? No, the crowds are way bigger. So, like, the energy is there. You can feel it. You can, like, literally feel the, like, electric energy. And I was never psyched out by crowds. You know, you hyper, and I'm talking, you hyper focus in the fight against your opponent. So it's hard to, to really focus on anything else. And guys who do let that, those things get in the way, they lose fights because of it. But, uh, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's higher stakes for sure. But it's the same feeling. First amateur cage fight I had feels the exact same as my last UFC fight. If anything, I was way more nervous in my early fights. And my, you know, Darren Till said something, and I didn't like it. He said, any fighter who says they're not scared as they're walking out is a liar. And that is simply not true. By no means am I scared when I fight. I'm extraordinarily cautious, super hyper-focused, extraordinarily excited, 
and uh, and, 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 and not angry. Angry is the right word, but like ready to kill. But I'm not scared. Prepared to die. I tell myself, I'm like, this is your last moment on earth. How are you going to spend it? Are you going to make a mistake so bad you die and lose or not? And I like that pressure. I feel like I do better under the pressure. And it's, and it's, it's the closest feeling to being immortal. You go there like ready to die. You say, you know, if I get caught, I get subbed, I die, I lose. But there's refs there. You don't die. So, you know, like you go through the mindset of doing it. And, you know, you've, I've been knocked out before. You know, you're fighting. The next thing you know, you're getting woken up by, by the ref, by some doctors. And when you wake up, you're like, damn. If that was a fight to the death, I just I would I die. <laughs> but you don't. You, you, and you live the fight the next day. Now, granted, I've not suffered a lot of big injuries or damage to my head in fights. It's like never broken orbitals, no no like such bad knockouts. You go to the hospital, no big cuts, lacerations, whatever. So, man, I've had fights where I've been finished with punches, and I I got a, maybe a bump on my head and a bruise, and maybe a headache, maybe. But it's no worse for wear. So when you experience kind of worst case scenario in a fight, knockout loss, and it's not that bad. You don't have much to fear. And you know, thankfully, I've put my fans, my team, my family through way more wins than losses. I feel like if the script was flipped, it wouldn't be so fun. <laughs> but I'm going to try to keep that, that win-loss ratio as high as possible. Well, when you were talking about fear and whatnot, uh, to the outsider, what it sounds like is like it's all energy, right? But what you choose to do with that energy is totally up to you. So instead of being scared, you know, you're cautious and you're aware. You know, so uh, I see where he's coming from, but again, everyone's perspective is their reality. You know, and sometimes fear is good. Like Donald Cerrone always talks about being really, really psyched out before he fights. But look, he's got the most wins and the most finishes in the UFC. So, you know, maybe there's something to it, but like the nerves will either make or break a fighter. And I think the reason I'm not afraid is I get the same nerves, but those nerves are produced by your brain chemically to keep you sharp. So instead of trying to hide the nerves stomach the nerves I accept the nerves and the nerves make you fast they make you sharp they make you strong so if you can use those nerves as a weapon as a tool and embrace them it gives you all the confidence in the world and I tell all my fighters right before they walk out I give them that same speech like hey man don't hide these nerves use these nerves let them make you sharp let them make you fast you'll see everything embrace them use them and win with them and it helps what's been uh, your most memorable moment or most memorable scrap in the big show in the UFC so my fight before last I fought a guy named Max Griffin he's a good striker and uh, he was known for having a really good long straight right hand so we had worked good inside kicks like my lead leg would kick out the inside of his lead leg every time he would sit down to throw a right hand so I'd worked those kicks and worked those kicks and I'd worked slipping right hands and countering with the left hook and I'd landed like two or three really good inside kicks and in the second round he sits down for a right hand and I slip it to the left, and I hit him with a left hook, straight right, and then I stepped forward where I would normally throw that inside kick, but I threw it up high and I kicked him in the face. And I don't know how it did knock him out, but I knocked him down. And then he like staggered back to his feet. And I hit him with like six clinches, clinch knees, like full plumb clinch knees to the head, a wicked spinning back fist. I just flurried on the dude and cracked him so hard. It was pretty upset he didn't get knocked out. But man, that clip. That clip on Instagram got millions of views. Oh, yeah. I think UFC even led with that on their, uh, their Facebook campaign. Yeah, it was awesome. I was proud of that. And then I went and go see my favorite band, Amon Amarth. It's like a Viking death metal band. And man, I get to go hang out with them backstage. It's the only time where I'll use my UFC cred is I hit up these band managers. And I'm like, hey, you know, you guys are coming to town. Can I, can, you know, can I meet the band? And they're always like, oh, hell yeah. They like, they like local athletes and stuff. 
Dude, so I, I meet the guys at Amon Amarth, and I'm telling them about my last fight. And the lead guy, Johan Hegg, he's like, man, I saw that clip. I saw you kick that guy in the face. It was really cool. Just like the fact that he had seen one of my clips before I talked to him was really cool. But that was probably my favorite moment in the UFC. My UFC debut was also winning that first fight. It was surreal. And it was awesome. But my favorite moment in MMA was when I knocked out Baby Monster. Oh, tell us a little bit about that. So too. I had a, a main event spot for Legacy in Houston. And, uh, you know, some Brazilian guy out of Florida flies in, has zero fans. Zero fans other than his corner. His corner man, Kamaru Usman. Really? was in his corner. Yeah, so that's cool. He knows who I am. That's so fun. was it American top team he was fighting out of? It was ATT versus Houston. Carrington Banks fought Justin Reichward. One guy was supposed to fight Charlie Antiveros, and one guy was supposed to fight Sage Northcutt, but those fights fell through. So, man, I, I'm fighting this baby monster, and this dude's laying and praying hard. There's another term for it, but I'm not going to use that term. <laughs> and so he's laying and praying hard, takes me down, holds me down hard. I can't move. The dude's strong. Dude's good black belt, better black belt than me. Wins the first two rounds decisively, but it's a boring fight. Third round, the dude gets a little tired, and I hit him with the world's nastiest right hook. Put him to sleep. Knock him out bad. That was my favorite moment ever, in, in, really in life, in MMA history. <laughs> was it, cool. it was a, like a highlight of highlights. Yeah, it was. Uh, I felt bad for that guy. Like, he was hurting. I think he even <laughs> caught one on the ground, too, after he yeah, fell so down. Yeah, so he got slept with that first right hand, and I just wanted to make sure he didn't get up. Because I've cracked dudes with big punches, and they don't even, doesn't phase them. And then this baby monster guy, I tip him with a hook. Tipped his chin, barely felt the punch land. So I don't know if he was in or out, so I hit him with a hammer fist from standing position and bust his nose pretty bad. This dude was out cold. Wow, so you don't feel like it was a clean right hand? I, I don't know. I knew, I mean, I knew the punch connected, and I knew it put him on his butt. But I just didn't know if he was going to get up or not. And to be fair, and this is where things get brutal, and this is where some of my friends and I disagree. If I get a guy knocked down, I'm going to keep hitting him until the te ref tells me to stop. Because yeah. like the Max Griffin fight, I hit him with everything, you know, everything, and the dude didn't go out. So you don't know what punches put dudes to sleep, and you don't know what punches don't. Like it's one thing, if you punch a guy and he like falls backwards and there's a few feet in between you guys and you have time to see that he's asleep, then sure you don't punch him again. But if you hit a guy and he falls close, you just don't know what's happening. But yeah, but I'll hit him a bunch. Uh, the closest comparison I can give you to that to that punch is like at the end of uh, I think it's Rocky Three, where Apollo and Rocky are doing that little extra training session by themselves behind closed doors, and they both swing right hands, and you don't get to see what happens, man. But like the timing on that looked exactly like that. Uh, yeah. So uh, Arujo threw a right hand, and I ducked under it, and as soon as I ducked, I bombed a hook, and it just caught him right on the chin. Oh man, and. I'm a baseball player, you know, and you, you said something interesting, man. Like, whenever – you said you, you felt like you just kind of clipped him. Sometimes, though, in baseball, man, when you, you hit the hardest shots, man, it just feels so clean. Like, you don't feel anything. It's almost like you're swinging through air. Yeah, yeah. So, uh. Yeah, there's an idea with Muay Thai, especially with kicking, especially in punches. But you don't kick at your opponent. You don't kick at the bag. You kick through the bag. Like, I didn't punch at the dude's chin. I punched through the dude's chin. <laughs> and do the follow-up on that punch was nasty. Man, the highlight of highlights. Um, who do you want to see standing uh, across from the cage from you next? If you could pick an opponent, and and if it doesn't matter, just say it doesn't matter. I want to just you, you know. know so my, you know, I lost my last fight, and I was on a three fight win streak right before that. And I I really just this other guy I was gonna fight had a three fight win streak too, and we were actually matched up to fight in Houston, but he had pulled out with a pretty serious neck injury. I didn't know how legit it was, but then I saw his Instagram, and he actually had to go get surgery. But uh, the Diego Lima fight I had planned, you know, younger brother of um, Douglas Lima, Bellator champion, dude's a world beater, dude's a killer. Super respect for these brothers. 
And I just admired the guy's skill set. I liked that he was on a win streak, and I liked that we were matched up. And the only reason I still want to fight him is because I watched a lot of tape and did a lot of prep, and I don't want that to be for nothing. But I'll be honest, I don't care. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. If that fight's gone, that fight's gone. It's cool. Like, best of luck, best wishes to the guy. I hope he recovers well. But, I mean, man, there's I would, there, I, don't, I couldn't tell you who I wouldn't fight in the UFC. I love that attitude about you, man. That's one of the things that I, I truly do admire. It doesn't matter. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about like advice for people that may be thinking about getting into mixed martial arts. Um, but what would you tell you know, pretty good athlete, someone that's interested in getting into the game? What, what would be you know a couple of pieces of advice for them? Yeah, you know you gotta you gotta be fully committed to not the fight game but the training. If you don't enjoy the training, don't do it. It's, 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 it was my love for the training, not only like the hard work, but the, uh, the social aspects that, that really kept me coming every single day. So man, just like set high standards, train every single day. You know, some days you'll have to take days off because your body's telling you to. But man, it's just, it's, it's, it's getting, you know, 0.01% better every day. Yep. You know, after 10 days, you're 1% better. And after 100 days, 10% better. After a thousand days, you're 100% better than what you used to be. That's three years. Another three years, you know, you, you double up here again. So you guys, it's just, it's, it's very small gains made every single day. And you got to look at the big picture. You can't just try to get, be the best fighter in one day. It's never going to happen that way. Um, what hardships will fighters inevitably face? Losses. I mean, don't lose fights. I would tell my guys, I was like, you guys stay undefeated, Coach Jake, as long as possible. Like, but if a loss happens, man, that's life. Learn your lessons and don't let it bring you down. Like, you got to learn. You can either focus on the negative aspects of whatever progress we lost losing, or you can learn what mistakes you made and take those into your next fight. And, uh, and man, yeah, you just got to you gotta, you gotta take the, the good luck with the bad luck. You got to keep pushing forward. Um, and how will uh, training uh, help them evolve as a person? You know, you, you, have to, you have to learn how to lose and you have to learn how to make adjustments and adapt. And then, you know, if you get to a certain level, you're beating everybody in the gym, you got to go find guys who are better than you. That's why I love Fortis so much. I am very much so not the best guy there on the lower end, honestly. So I have so much expansion potential, so many, like, challenging riddles to solve, and that's what I love so much. All right, man, well, shoot, you've given us a lot of... Uh... A lot of wisdom, a lot of information. Is there anything maybe that I left off, man? You know, any parting words, anyone you'd like to thank, any shout-outs? No, thank you, Ortiz, for, for, for bringing me on, man. And you know, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm in, I'm, I go to two places ever. I'm at home or I'm here at the gym training. That's what I like to do. I like to hang out with my family and watch fights when I'm at home. I like to come into the gym and train with my gym family. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I'm going to do this till the day I die. So, no, man, thank you so much. Thanks to the students. You know, it's just cool. The community is so great. Man, well, hey, this is uh, the Coach Chris Ortiz with uh, Alex Morano on the Be Someone podcast. Y'all take care and have a blessed day. A very special shout out to our sponsors, the Billiard Brothers. If you're looking for a pool table, looking for pool sticks, pool balls, pool cues, or anything of that nature, I'd like for y'all to look up the Billiard Brothers on Facebook, or you can find them on their website, www.thebilliardbrothers.com. And if you use the special uh, promo code, the Be Someone Podcast, you will receive an additional 10% off your order. So look up my buddy, William White at the Billiard Brothers. Take care and have a blessed day, and go out and be that someone.
This is Blue July, and you're listening to the Be Someone Podcast. Lights looking bright, the H got the vibe. She's my name on the sign, it's my time to shine when I was prison 45. And it crossed my mind that I shine like the sun and that I'll be someone. Lights, camera, session, use the flow molasses. Blue the line, my fashion. Future brightening glasses, applause from the masses. This is the Be Someone Podcast.